This is the Non-Microwave Truth, and I am C.L. Whiteside. You know what's coming up? Jesus' birthday celebration is coming up. And this is our first world problem question today. Do you, do you think Jesus celebrated his birthday? And if so, do you think he just celebrated that day? Did he celebrate it a week? Did he celebrate it? This is my month. This is my birthday. Yes, the whole month, December. Let's go. Do you think Jesus was like that? I don't. And the second part of our first world problem question is, when do you think decorations should be set up? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Decorations in my house for Jesus' birthday for Christmas were already set up November 7th. And I'm telling you, I did no such thing. I had no part in this. So you're like, well, who did it? My future baby mama is the one who set up the house and got it decorated. But it looks nice. It does look nice. But two questions I guess I'm asking you is, do you think Jesus celebrated his birthday and how long? And the second part is, when do you think decorations should be put up for Christmas? I know most people say after Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, people do it. But do you do it earlier? Do you do it later? Do you not do it at all? Let me know what you are thinking. And this is our first world problem. Remember, I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter, Champion Life 23. And when I said future baby mama, I'm not saying my wife is pregnant either. So don't go up to her and be like, congratulations. Because then you're going to have me in some mess. So don't do that. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. I want you to think about this question and I want you to be honest and I just want you to give it some time. Is there anyone you can think of that has your best interest in mind and they never waver and it's always pure and they always, 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 always want what's best for you and always love you? Is there anyone you can think of that fits that description? Well, supposedly God is like that. And Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But isn't it typical that we question God like, are you sure you're working for my good, but you let me get fired from my job? Or are you sure you're working for my good when you allow this person that I love to die or this traumatic event to happen in my life or this pain or this hurt or this suffering? Are you sure you're good? Are you sure you really have my best interest in mind at all times? And since it's hard to trust that and to accept that, we become angry with God. And that's the title of our episode today, Angry with God. And that's really going to be the focus of today's episode, Angry with God, is how do we get out of those moments? How do we get out of those moments when we, we get ticked off with God and we're upset with him? Because we don't have to stay there. Like, we don't have to stay in that state of mind. Because when we are in those moments, we're like, forget God. I don't need a God who's going to make my life worse. I don't need that. That's not what I'm signing up for. And no matter what you think or believe, misfortunes happening in life are inevitable. But we compound them by responding to them in, in a worldly way. And we look for microwave fixes or quick fixes. And we distance ourselves from God 
when we shouldn't, when the exact opposite is we should be coming closer to him. And we become obsessed with the why. Why did God do this to me? And we start closing the door on new opportunities. And it's, it's very hard, but have you ever thought some jacked up stuff can lead to new relationships or new people for you to meet that you otherwise would not have met? Or have you thought, have you ever thought like, this is a new chance for me to grow because otherwise I wouldn't have searched for this. It's like almost a new life that you can experience. And the answer to that is probably not. That's not how we're wired to think. And part of the reason we don't think like this is because we very rarely see someone change or a situation get better after something was actually done wrong to someone. So since it's not seen, it's not believed. And even when you have people who testify and share their misfortunes and how God came through, if you are in such a rut, if you are in such a, a bad place and have just a, a ton of negative self-talk, you're not going to take that message in. You're not going to believe that message. Like you're really not going to care. You're going to be so consumed with what is going wrong in your life that you will be like, yeah, that might have happened to that person. But knowing my luck, my luck won't change. This is just how it is. And people are like, why did God let my father or mother walk out on our family? Why did God allow her to cheat on me? Why did God allow him to take advantage of me? Why is God allowing all this trauma to happen in my life? Like, I'm tired of it. I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. Why would God let this happen to me? Like, I didn't ask for this. And we're not even going to talk about the people and the times we put ourselves into janky predicaments. We're just going to talk about today when it's real life bad and it just happened or it doesn't seem like it's, it's called for. And when this happens, we are upset with God. We're angry and we just don't understand what in the world is going on. And I, I got to admit to you, I've definitely had this type of attitude before, but honestly, Looking back at it now or looking at it just truly from from God's perspective is such a negative. And I say this kindly and you need to hear me out. It's such a, a victimized attitude towards the things that have happened to me. And if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, hold up. You don't understand my life. My parent used to beat me and then he left and I kept a positive attitude. But then my mom died. Or some of you might be mad and thinking God let a crime be committed against me. And now I'm not the same. Or some might be thinking, God allowed pe people to ruin my name and I've lost so much. Like I've lost so much. And I'm not going to get the chances that I deserve. And I know if you're thinking truly like, don't tell you about being a victim or having a positive attitude because life sucks. God sucks. And you're questioning, how could he be called a loving God and let all this happen to me? This is the episode for you then. And I just think about this. Have you ever seen the hurt in someone's eyes who is upset with God? They are sick of life hitting them with uppercuts and haymakers. And when you listen to them and you hear them, it actually doesn't even make sense to you. And we know that, you know, sin is the reason for all of this stuff. But when you look at it, you're like, I know this person has probably sinned or done something wrong in their life. But what they're being dealt, that doesn't fit the consequence that they are getting in. Isn't that how we think at times? And on this episode of Angry with God, I just felt like we have to look at the life of Joseph. 
And Joseph's life starts in Genesis 37. And the only thing I can think of that's worse than being dumped on in life is to once have it and then not have it at all and lose everything. And Joseph started off with having a, a great life. Joseph had his father's favor. It says that Joseph was a good looking man. Joseph had money. And it tells us in Genesis 37 that Joseph was a 17 year old and he was a little arrogant. And I say that because of Joseph had dreams where in his dreams, it pretty much said that his family was going to worship, not worship, but bow down. And he was going to be above them, authoritative figure to them. And he presented this. He said this in a way that kind of upset them and made them look at him like, look at this cocky little boy. Like he just think he all of that. And Joseph was hated by his brothers. He was hated by his brothers because they knew he was their father's favorite. And they knew he was the favorite because the father got Joseph a special or unique coat that if it wasn't today's world, it'd be like some three, four, five thousand dollar Peli Peli special edition coat. It probably would be worth more than that. But but you get the picture. It doesn't appear that any of his other 11 brothers had this type of coat. And yeah, they hate Joseph. He's the second to youngest and they can't stand the boy. They can't stand him at all. They can't stand him so much that when they went off, all the other brothers went off to do their their shepherd thing. The father of the boys told Joseph to, hey, go check on your brothers. And they could see Joseph from a distance and they like, look at the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. I'm so cool with my special little coat. They like, you know what? Let's kill him. Let's kill him when he come. And they're not playing like, let's kill him. Let's rough him up. They're really like, let's kill him. And the oldest brother is like, are y'all, y'all are really serious. Like, don't, don't touch him. Don't lay a hand on him. Y'all can go ahead and rough him up a little bit. Go ahead and throw him in his cistern. But don't lay a hand on the boy. So when Joseph gets to them, finally, they go ahead, rough him up, strip him of his robe or his uh, coat, whatever you want to call it, that he was wearing, and they throw him in like the pit. The oldest brother named Reuben, who said, hey, don't lay a hand on him, don't touch him, he left or just wasn't in the picture. And the brothers, while they sitting down eating, they see some traders come by. And what I mean by traders, like people that will trade goods for goods or trade stuff for stuff. And they like, oh, I got it. You know, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? You know what we should do? We should sell him. And then we're not really laying a hand on him. Because, like, you know, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And they like, yes, let's do that. Let's sell Joseph. So they sell him. They sell him. And then what they do is they take his little robe. They rip it up. They get a goat. They put the blood of the goat on his robe. And then they go to their father and they say, hey, we, we found this. Like, can you examine it and see whether it's Joseph's or not? And the father recognized it, of course. And he's like, this is my son's robe. And he automatically thinks that some ferocious animal had to devour Joseph and that he had to be torn to pieces. So they did a whole cover up. Now, I alluded to earlier that Joseph was a little arrogant. Now, no one would agree that a little arrogance should have the consequence of selling someone into slavery. And I think about in today's world, that would be like equal to abandonment or being cheated on or having a loved one randomly die or being abused. Or one that really ties in is a young girl runs away from home or is a little fast. That doesn't mean she should be sex trafficked. Like no one would say that. 
And what we see with Joseph is, and this might be the case with you also, is that the people that were supposed to love him the most, they hated him the most. And it's like, why would God allow that to happen? And I think anyone would question God and ask him why with any of those other situations I named as well. What is your situation now? Like, what are you battling or, or dealing with? I feel like I have been seeing people on a daily hurting and upset with God. And the devil has microwaved the truth that, you know, if God really did love you, then he wouldn't have allowed this or that to happen. And since he did and he really doesn't love you, you should respond this way. That's what the devil wants us to think and to believe. Now, we see and we hear about all these negative responses. But even if you've heard about Joseph's story, have you ever looked at and just examined, like, how did he really respond to this? Genesis 39 tells us that when Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, he got sold to a dude named Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian who was like one of the Pharaoh's officials. He was kind of like the captain of the guard. And he bought him from those travelers I mentioned earlier. Potiphar is like the head of secret service. He's like the head of protection for, for Pharaoh. And something that immediately stood out to me when I was reading Genesis 39 is it said this in verse two. It said, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Like Joseph prospered as a slave. Despite the bad hand he was dealt, he still was prospering. He still was prospering. Now, there are two reasons to why we don't prosper or at least feel like we're prospering. And the first one is we can't prosper because we don't know God is with us. We reject God and we start attempting to microwave the process. And the second reason is we are actually prospering. But since we're comparing, we can't see how God is blessing us, like blessing you and I personally. And since we're comparing and so busy worrying about everybody else and complaining about the things that we don't have, we don't see the new opportunities that God is creating for, for us. You know, it's like your pops left you or they're just not you don't have a good parent. Oh, but God has put a new mentor in your life, but you swear you don't want any help or you've lost all your friends, but you can't see the new people who are taking an interest in you and actually care about you and will be better for you because you're too busy chasing what God said, let go. Or you've had a traumatic event happen and God's been begging for your attention, but you're too bitter. You're too bitter to see the new purpose or the people he wants you to inspire. Sometimes we got to realize that we can't see how good we have it because we're too busy looking at everyone else best on social media. We're looking at everyone else's highlights and acting like life is supposed to be all highlights. When that person's life we're looking at isn't even like that all the time. And on this episode of Angry with God, we have to look at how did Joseph respond to being sold into slavery? Like, how did he respond? He worked hard. And I just want you to think about this question. Have you ever been at work and been trying to figure out how you cannot work hard and get paid still? And it's, it's like, I highly doubt Joseph was getting paid a lot, if anything. But he still was working, working. Like he still was trying to be better and bless the person that he was working for. Most of us would have been like, ain't no way in the world. There is no way in the world I'm busting my butt working for this master. Ain't no, uh -uh, I ain't no slave when I shouldn't even be here. 
Like, I shouldn't be doing this work. I shouldn't even be here. My brother sold me into this mess. Why, God? Why am I in this foreign country? I don't even want to be here. But what we see is that Joseph's mentality of trying to be better and bless the people that he's around and realizing you have a purpose even in bad situations and bad circumstances, that got Joseph noticed. And Joseph was put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Like he ran Potiphar's house, everything that he owned. From rags to riches, right? And something that I have to point out is sometimes when you read the Bible, you can lose track of time. Like you read a chapter and it seems like maybe Joseph was running Potiphar's house and it took maybe a couple of weeks. But in reality, it most likely took years and it could have been up to 10 or 11 years for Joseph to get in this position of being in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And I bring up this point because my guess is when we're angry at God, we don't give God 10 years of obedience and trust and faith. We're ready to be done with God after 10 days of him not showing us why or fixing it, how we want it to be fixed. Or am I the only one like that? And Joseph's life is so typical and relatable because just when things started to look up for him and he started to make moves, it seems like God messes him over again. And I know some of you have felt like this. Genesis 39 tells us that Joseph was a good looking, well-built brother. And it says, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Like she threw it at him. There was no flirting. It says, but he refused. And Joseph replies with me in charge. He told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Like, I wonder how long she was plotting and throwing her cookie from the cookie jar at him. So many people, so many people would have risked it all and justified them getting some because of the hand they had been dealt in the situation that they had been put in. It continues on and it says that, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. I pictured in my head her plotting and her throwing on some lingerie, probably looking real fine too, lotioned up and smelling all good, and catching Joseph coming into like a room one day. Like, yep, today is the day I'm going to get me some Joseph. And I picture him covering up his face and just being like, oh, man, I got to get up. I, I got to get up out of here before I do something I shouldn't do. Because if you notice, there was no dialogue. That's just me speculating and guessing, though. Now, if this was the typical feel-good story or like a Hallmark movie, what would have happened next is Joseph would have found him a baddie. The master would have found out about it and been like, Joseph, no big deal. And probably put him on with some beautiful woman and he lives happily ever after. But that's not what happened. Long story short is Potiphar's wife is super salty that he didn't take the cookie from the cookie jar and she yells rape. And Joseph, who seemed to have everything starting to go the right direction, he gets looked at again as a slave boy and he is thrown into prison. Her word was the only thing that seemed to matter. And again, 
when this happens in our life, don't we feel like God is allowing the the wrong narrative to be the loudest? Like, let me say that again. When this happens in our life, don't we feel like God is allowing the wrong narrative to be the loudest? And we get angry with God. We start thinking like he's unloving. Or, you know, sometimes we even, I've heard people say, God is dumb. Like, he's a dumb God if he allows this type of stuff to happen. And what can make you even more mad is when you've seen people do the opposite of what Joseph did, and they take Potiphar's wife up on her offer. And they go ahead and have sex with her. And they don't get accused of rape. And in fact, they get a promotion, they get a new car, they get more friends, they get followed more on social media, and it seems like they get the great non-committal straight sex relationship that just seems so fun on the outside. That's a microwave truth, though. Ooh, that's a big microwave truth. You better believe there's some strings attached to that, and all of a sudden you a puppet of now the devil. You can get out of it, though. But I want to look at, like, how did Joseph respond how did Joseph respond to being thrown in, in prison? And while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. But the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And if you know the rest of history of Joseph, he ends up getting out of prison in a couple of years and becomes second in command and the most powerful country in the world. It's like being the VP of the United States. But Joseph really was the one calling all the shots. So he really was the most powerful person. Now, some of you are thinking, CL, God won't work like that in my life. And I want to leave you with these final thoughts on this episode of Anger with God. The first one is I'm going to be real with you. You probably won't have the glow up like that, like becoming second in command or the president of the United States. Like, I'm not going to tell you that. But I can tell you this. Because of sin, bad stuff in life is going to happen. It is inevitable. Now, from a worldly sense, you can say that consequence didn't fit the crime. But we're looking at this from a godly sense. And that's the only sense that matters. We have all sinned. We all deserve hell. But why try to decide what the mess should look like and play God? It's a fact. Jacked up things will happen, though, because this world is broken. It's infected. So when crazy bad stuff happens, it doesn't mean God stops or doesn't love you. Use that bad stuff to refocus and know he is there. You are not strong enough, but God is. Christ is. And thankfully, we have his DNA and him inside of us. And I just want you to think about a, a mindset. And Romans 12 verse 2 tells us this, or I would call it the Joseph mindset. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. How many people have something jacked up happen and say, you know what? I know God is going to provide something good out of this. We usually complain. I know I usually complain. And I just want to say this again. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Joyful in hope patient and affliction. Joseph waited years, 10 plus years, and was faithful in prayer. He didn't take a break from God and look for all these other quick fixes. He went and became closer to God. And another point that I want to leave you is, is all of us have a, a purpose. And when you have a purpose or a, a talent, 
never stop using that when bad stuff happens. When you fulfill your purpose and you you use your talent, you can open some doors that look like they have bolts and chains and it's all locked up and it's all bad. But when you do that, God has the key and he can open any door. In fact, he can create a new hole in the wall for you to get through where you're supposed to get through. And when I get in my modes or I kind of have my victim mentality, this is something that I always forget. I, I get mad at God because I feel like he has no relatability. But I, I forget and I can't forget that Jesus had all the right to be angry with the heavenly father because he was perfect. And think about this. Jesus got abandoned by his loved ones. He got ridiculed. He got mocked. He got beat. He got unjustly crucified. And although you might have a bad day, a bad year, a bad decade, you have never experienced hell. Jesus experienced hell for you and for me. So when people say, why would God let this happen to me? Look at the hope our Savior showed, the trust he had in the Father's plan, and the effort he put into showing us his love, despite us not deserving it one bit at all. So when life is not going as you want, it comes a point in time to stop questioning God. Because we could spend our whole life asking, why poor old me, God? And the reason I say there comes a point in time where we might just need to stop is because we can spend all of our energy and effort asking and questioning God. Instead of taking that energy and seeking God to show us the new blessings and the new opportunities he wants you to embrace and be re-energized through because of his grace. And I look at it like this. When you ask why, you're expecting an answer in English. But God is trying to teach you a new language, maybe it's Spanish. But since you're so stuck on English, when God starts speaking Spanish to you, you don't see it. You don't hear it. You don't understand it. You don't even know that there are new opportunities for you because you're still stuck on the old thing. You're still stuck on the why when there's a whole new language and new way for you to learn about. So don't be robbed of your hope. Don't be impatient. Don't listen to the lie that God doesn't love you because he absolutely does. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Angry with God. And please don't forget to write a review, leave a five star, share this with a friend. And more importantly, don't forget to reflect on the times that you have been angry with God and just see, did you have Joseph's mindset? Peace punch, Captain Crunch, say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I am out.